Hashem created the world with a purpose. The reason why he created this world is because he had a desire. That desire was that he should have a dwelling place in the lowest realms. And if we're going to do, take a vote, if we're going to do a contest, which world is the lowest? This world wins hands down. This is the world where there is absolutely no clear revelation of the divine. A person can be born into this world and think that there is no creator, God forbid. So the purpose in all of the worlds lies in this world, the lowest of all the worlds. And that's for the reason that Hashem wanted a dwelling place in the lowest of all of them. And that means here. So now, we're living in a very uh, pregnant times. We're living in a time where the world feels so different than we've seen all along. This, these times are unusual, and it would be blind of us to not recognize that there's something different about the time that we're living now. And I'm going to tell a story that a famous Hasidic mentor used to say. So he told a story of a primitive, I don't want to call him primitive, simple, a simple porter who was very sincere and he worked very hard. Every morning he would get up before dawn and he had his son help him. They used to carry packages. They used to transport people from early in the morning until late at night. And one morning he woke up his young son to help him, but that morning was a communal fast day. And so he brought him to show and after show, instead of eating breakfast, they went straight to work. And the boy was like, one minute, what happened to breakfast? And he said, no, no, you can't eat yet. Not explaining to him why he can't eat because he probably didn't understand too much himself. And as the day wore on, the son got hungrier and he said, daddy, I want to eat now. And he said, no, no, you can't eat yet. And the day wore on until the night and he kept saying, you can't eat. And then finally, when it was the evening time, he said, okay, now you can eat. And the next morning, the man wakes up his boy for work and he said, come on, honey, time to get up for work. And he said, no, I'm not getting up today. And he said, what do you mean? It's a work day. You got to get up. He said, no, I'm not getting up today. I'm afraid that you're not going to let me eat like you didn't let me eat yesterday. And he said, oh, you don't understand. Let me tell you something. Today is not yesterday. And that's the end of the story. The point of the story is today is not yesterday. Whatever happened until now happened, but we're living in pregnant, amazing times. With, even without this uh, coronavirus, which I don't even like to say the word, even without this quarantine that everybody's in, science is coming to the realization of oneness within the world. We keep talking about there's nothing else besides him. At one point, science reduced it to two things, energy and matter. At this point, science is reducing it to one. I'm not an expert in this field, but I know that the string theory speaks about the oneness in everything. And that's what we're experiencing right now. So this chapter is very appropriate for what we're learning now and understanding the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation being that Hashem desired a dwelling place in the lowest of realms. The lowest of realms meaning right here, right now, Hashem chose to have a desire that every time we creatures of this lowest world encounter darkness and yet are not phased by it but subjugate the darkness and sometimes even transform the darkness into light that brings him great pleasure 
ultimately his realization of his desire is going to happen when Mashiach comes. And what will happen at that time? He is going to reveal himself utterly without any cloak or concealment. And yet we will continue to maintain existence. That really shouldn't be possible. It doesn't seem to make sense at all. And yet it will be possible. Okay, so when Hashem reveals himself utterly without any garment or concealment, that will be the purpose of creation being fulfilled. Because like we said, the purpose of creation is Hashem should have an abode in the lowest realms. Home means home. It doesn't mean a hotel. It doesn't mean your friend's house. It means where you're just yourself. And when Hashem reveals himself and has no cloak or garment, but his essence shines as it is, that's going to be home. So how is that possible that he's going to shine in his utterly essential self, something that doesn't happen, not in any of the highest worlds, and yet we will continue to maintain existence. So let's look at, if you have the booklet printed out, we're on the bottom of page four. And they actually asked the paragraph in this packet, so I'll read it here. A question arises. For those of you who um, are not sure which text we're using, we're using the Lessons in Tanya, chapter 36. You can get it on Chabad.org. I sent the link before class. We're at the bottom of page four. A question arises. However, how is it possible, even upon subjugating the klipot and transforming them into holiness, that we in this world should experience a revelation of the Ain Sof light without any veil or concealment, when even the higher worlds cannot receive such revelation without dissolving into nothingness? For this purpose, the Holy One, blessed be He, gave Israel the Torah, which is called might and strength. For it gives us the strength to receive such revelation without being overwhelmed by it. Okay, so let's look at what the Torah is. The Torah is something not of this world that we can understand. If we try to fathom what the Torah is, the Zohar says, that means Hashem and the Torah are entirely one. The, the Talmud tells us that the first word of the Ten Commandments, Anochi, as in Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. The word Anochi, I am, is actually an, an acronym. It's an acronym for Ana Nafshi Kesavis Yehavis an Aramaic phrase, which means I personally have inscribed it and given it. But there's another way of reading that phrase, and that is Ana Nafshi. Instead of saying Ana Nafshi, I personally, you say Ana Nafshi, I, my soul, Kesavis, have written down, Yehavis, have given it to you. In giving us the Torah, Hashem has taken his soul, as it were, his very essence, he has transcribed it and given it to us. Is that wild? In giving us the Torah, Hashem gave us himself. So the Torah is not just a revelation of the divine. It's also the power to endure that revelation. The Torah is called strength. Now, normally speaking, when somebody shares wisdom with somebody else, right? So a person is... The teacher is teaching, he shares wisdom with the, his student. The student then binds with the wisdom of the teacher, but he doesn't bind with the essence of the teacher. He binds with a certain level of the teacher. 
However, when somebody studies Torah, they don't just bind with a level of divinity. They bind with the essence of Hashem. And this is very interesting because in studying Torah, we bind with Hashem, but it also gives us a way of connecting with each other that's almost not available in any other medium. My friend Brian at once pointed out to me, the Baha Turim, that when... Oh, Brian, I'm just speaking about you. Do you hear me? So my friend Brian once pointed out to me the Baal HaTorim, where when Yehuda is trying to describe to Yosef the incredible connection that his father Jacob has to his son, Binyamin, and how devastating and detrimental and disastrous it could be if he doesn't get back home, he says, V'nafsho keshura v'nafsho. His son, his soul is bound with his soul. They're so connected that his soul is bound with his soul. And the Baha Torim says that the word Kishura, bound, also has the numerical value of Torah. That the way one soul is bound to another is through Torah study. But essentially when we study Torah... We're utterly bound to Hashem's very essence. And with this revelation of His essence, He gave us the power to ultimately endure a revelation and not expire out of existence. That is the reason why the Torah is called Oz, strength. In fact, in the verse from Tehillim, chapter 29, we say, Hashem Oz la'amo yitain, Hashem yivarechas amo bashalom. Every pe- people say this a lot. Friday night prayers, recitation of Tehillim. And it means Hashem has given strength to his people. Hashem will give strength to his people. But if you look at Targum Unculus, the classic translator of the Torah to Aramaic, he says, Hashem oraisa la'ame yehav. In translating Hashem has given strength to his people, he says Hashem has given the Torah to his people. The Torah is called strength. And just in simple, straightforward translation, Unculus translates it as strength as being Torah. For those of you who have never heard of Unculus, I'm going to give you historical background. Unculus was a Roman convert. He was actually the nephew of the Roman Emperor Hadrian. He was a brilliant mind with a pure heart and a very lofty spirit. And... His mother was the sister of the Emperor Hadrian. His father was Colonicus. And at one point, he was fed up with the nonsense of paganism. And he discovered Judaism. He discovered the one God. And he wanted to go convert. But of course, he knew that if his uncle found out that he converted, he would chop his head off. So he came to his uncle and he said, Uncle, you know, I learned everything there is to know as far as Roman and Greek wisdom. And I want to go into business now, and you're such a wise uncle, and I'm sure you have some business advice for me. And, of course, the Roman Emperor Hadrian was very flattered that his wise nephew, Unculus, chose to get advice from him. And so he said to him, yes, let me give you advice. Find something that is sold very cheaply, buy a lot of it, then explain to people its true value, and sell it at a higher price, you will become very wealthy. And he said, thank you. And he went to Israel, he went to Jerusalem, he converted, he became a profound student of Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkanas and of Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah. 
And of course, word reached the emperor that his nephew has converted and he is now Jewish living in Jerusalem. And so he sent a, a league of soldiers to come capture him, bring him back to Roman chains. And with each league of soldiers that came to capture Uncleus, they were so moved by him that they converted to Judaism as well. And Hadrian realized there's no way he's bringing this guy back to Roman chains. He's too convincing. He's too influential. He's going to have to bring him back voluntarily. And so he said, come back to Rome and I won't harm you. He gave him his word that he wouldn't harm him. And Uncleus gets back to Rome and he said, what's the matter with you? What made you join this people that's so ill-treated and downtrodden? What made you study their Torah? And he said, I took your wise advice, uncle. You told me to find merchandise that people do not value and is sold cheaply and realize its true value. The Jewish people are now the most downtrodden of nations, but there will come a time where they're going to be revealed as a, a kingdom of princes. And furthermore, the Torah is going to be recognized by the world. And so following your advice, I converted to Judaism. So this was Uncleus. What Uncleus did was he realized that a lot of people were not understanding classic Hebrew anymore, Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue. And so he translated the entire Torah into Aramaic, which was the spoken language then because Ezra the scribe previously translated it and his translation was lost. Uncleus received the tradition and in translating Torah into Aramaic, he gives the interpretation that was given down all the way back to Harsinai. And again, in translating Hashem has given, will give might to his people, he says Hashem has given the Torah to his people. And as our rabbis say, that God gives tzaddikim the strength to receive their world and the world to come. Now that sounds very interesting. And speaking about the world to come, the Talmud says like this, Just as Hashem will give strength to the wicked to receive their punishment, so will he give strength to the righteous to receive their reward. I understand why the wicked need strength. The wicked need strength because, as the Talmud says, if a person just puts their finger in the fire in this world, it immediately gets scorched. Well, compare that to the fires of Gehenna, which of course are not physical fires, but are much more intense and do not die down. If the wicked are to get their full punishment and not be scorched, they're going to have to get special strength in order to endure their punishment. Okay, so that's as far as wicked enduring their punishment. But what about the righteous? Why do they need special strength to receive their reward? And it's because it's not just about having a really healthy bank account and having a lot of physical health and having lots of uh, nachas from children, which are all great blessings, but it's something way above this. It's b b above physical reward. And it's even above spiritual reward. The reward that we speak of here is when Hashem will totally expose himself as he is without any garment or concealment. And normally it's impossible to endure such revelation. And for that, Hashem needs to give special strength to the righteous to receive their reward. It's important to note that when we say the righteous, the references to all Jewish people. The Talmud says, Kol Yisrael yeshlehem chelek olam haba, all of Israel has a portion in the world to come. And then it quotes from the Navi Yeshaya, Shenemar, Va'amech Kulam Tzadikim. As it says, and your nations are all righteous, La'olam Yeshu Aretz, forever they will inherit the land. 
Roy, you had a question? Uh, yes. Do you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Baruch Hashem. So, if you just said that the, all the all Israel are the king, so who are the wicked? So, in this sense, we're not when we say that all Israel are tzaddikim. The Talmud is saying that ultimately all Jewish people will receive the word reward, even those people who are getting the death sentence. It's it's speaking about you know people who had to go through punishment, even though they're wicked. Legally, they're wicked. But ultimately, they're righteous in the fact that they're going to be experiencing the world to come. So it doesn't mean that nobody of the Jewish people is wicked. Of course, there are wicked people, unfortunately. But what it means is that ultimately they will be meriting in the world to come after they are cleansed through punishment. Does that answer the question? Okay, and Susan had something to say. Okay, here. Thanks. Uh, and Torah are one and the same, as you said earlier. Yeah. And we have Shem's essence within us. Wouldn't that imply that we have Torah within us implicitly without having to learn it? Okay, so that's a very good question. And we do have Hashem's essence within us. But nevertheless, as our soul has come down through all the worlds, it has taken on a separate consciousness and comes to identify as a created being. What the Torah does for us, it allows us to access a transcendent state even while we have a separate consciousness. By studying Torah, we get to reach higher than we would have been without Torah. It's Hashem. Look at this. A soul originates from above, right? As it comes down, there's a certain type of downgrade that happens as it takes on a new consciousness. Torah descends from above. Not only doesn't Torah change as it comes through all the levels, while yet articulating in the language of that level that it's in, but Torah's ultimate realization is in this world. Because in this world is where Hashem's will is ultimately fulfilled. So while we kind of um, downgrade when we come down here, Torah's truest potential is found in this world. And ultimately, our truest potential is found in this world when we connect to Hashem through the Torah. We are able to align our consciousness to the ultimate truth, not be phased by darkness, and able to see the world as it is. And what is it? It's a place to realize Hashem's desire. Okay. Okay, so now, now we know why we need special strength, and that's because the reward that we're speaking about is Hashem's total revelation of His essence, which is impossible to receive just like that. So that their existence should not dissolve within the divine light that will reveal itself in the hereafter without any garment. Now, how do we know that Hashem is going to reveal Himself without any garment at all? As it is written, And your teacher will no longer hide from you, meaning, not as some interpret the verse, He will no longer withhold your reins, but following Rashi, he will no longer conceal himself from you with the edge of a robe or a garment, knaf, 
and your eyes will behold your teacher. So the Navi says that ultimately the te our teacher will not hide from us. Who is our teacher? Rashi explains Hashem, who is the one who teaches us for our benefit. So the ultimate teacher is Hashem, and at that time, he will no longer hide from us. Uchsev, ki ayin ba'ayin yir uvagaymer. And it is also written, for they shall see eye to eye, meaning that the human eye will see the as the divine eye sees. We will clearly see the revelation of Hashem's light. And here's another verse that proves this. Uchsev, la yiyeh l'cha ayit Hashem esh la'ar yaymen v'gaymer, ki Hashem and it is further written, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, for Hashem will be your eternal light. At that time, Hashem is going to reveal Himself in His purest sense. And at that stage, the sun will no longer serve as a light for us, because when Hashem shines, we will not need the sun for light. The Talmud has an expression, That means, of what use is a candle in broad daylight? Of what use is the light of the sun when Hashem himself is shining? Ultimately, Hashem in his purest essence is going to shine. These verses tell us that at that point, he will no longer hide from us with the edge of a robe. At that time, we will see as the divine eye sees. At that time, we will no longer need the sun because Hashem's light will be shining. The strength to receive this light, which will shine forth in the world to come without garment or concealment, we derive from our present study of the Torah. Now, this is very interesting. The sages tell us that we should study Torah even if we don't understand very well. Whatever, we should try the best as we can to study Torah even what we don't understand. And ultimately, in the time to come, we will gain full understanding of those things that we didn't understand well. Now, the purest, the, the pureness and the simplicity of studying as best as we can, we have to realize even what we do understand, we only understand in a very, very highly limited fashion. And ultimately, when Hashem reveals Himself, we will understand this in its purest, truest form. Right now, we're creating the pathways to understand what we will then be able to understand. And this reminds me of a story of the Baal Shem Tov, where the Baal Shem Tov, before he was revealed as a master Kabbalist, traveled around seemingly as just a wandering beggar, if you will. And he would constantly encourage and strengthen Jewish people on his travels. And he once stayed at an inn, and he came out in the morning to have breakfast, and the little boy said, oh, here, I'll serve you breakfast. My father's not out yet. And then again, my father's not out yet. My father's not out yet. Till already the afternoon. And finally, the father came out. Where was he all this time? He was saying his prayers. Now, why were his prayers taking him so long? Because he was very simple, unlettered Jew. And he couldn't understand the Hebrew without the Nekudot that said, which days you say what? So he would read the entire Siddur from the beginning till the end. Every single day, including Shabbos davening and Yom Kippur davening, he said it all every single day. And so his prayers took him till late afternoon. And so the Baal Shem Tov said to him, let me show you which prayers you say every day. They sat down with some paper. He wrote notes in Yiddish so he can understand. He said, this is what you say on Monday, and this is what you say on Thursday. This is just for Shabbos. This is for Rosh Hashanah. This is for Yom Kippur. And he left. Shortly after the Baal Shem Tov left, 
all the papers flew out of the man's sitter. It fell and every single last note fell out. And he was so devastated. Oh no, how long will it take till another learned Jew comes here and will be able to explain to me how I can say my prayers? And so he started to chase after the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov was walking. He was about five minutes ahead, but he could see him and he was chasing after him. And finally the Baal Shem Tov came to a stream that at certain times of the year was just unable to be crossed because the, the waters were swollen. And the Baal Shem Tov took a kerchief, spread it out on the river, stood on top of it, glided across the river and got to the other side. The man chased after the Baal Shem Tov. He reached the Baal Shem Tov and he said, Rabbi, please, I need your help. Every single last paper flew out of my Siddur. I need you to show me what I say every day, otherwise I'm going to be saying the whole Siddur every day. And the Baal Shem Tov said, sure, I'm happy to help you, but tell me, how did you cross the stream? And he said, oh, I did the same as you. I took my handkerchief out of my pocket, I put it on the stream, glided across, and I reached you. And the Baal Shem Tov said, you know what? I think that was divine. You should be davening, you should be praying the way you were praying up until now. Just keep saying the whole Siddur every day. Imagine the Baal Shem Tov, with all his knowledge, he reached such a level that he was able to throw his handkerchief over the stream, stand on it, and glide across. But this man, who didn't understand what the Baal Shem Tov understood, and yet he created his own pathways in his simple way, had the same powers as the Baal Shem Tov. He was able to throw his handkerchief over the river and glide across with a pure, simple faith that attached him to Hashem. So studying Torah is very powerful. Doing mitzvahs are very powerful. Whatever we understand, we're privileged. Whatever we don't understand, we should, what we should understand is that each of these are the connection to the divine. And each of these draw down profuse divine light into this world. Whatever we understand, we understand. Whatever we don't understand, ultimately, we will understand. And we are highly anticipating that time, and even that is an understatement. Okay, the Alter Rebbe stated earlier that the purpose of the entire Hishtalshalus, the chain-like order of the worlds, is the revelation of the Ein Sof light in this world, which occurs when the darkness of the Klipot of this world is transformed into the light of holiness. But one may ask, this revelation will only take place in the hereafter. At present, the Ein Sof light is completely hidden. The Alter Rebbe replies that indeed the Messianic era constitutes the purpose for which the world was created. So the angel of light will be revealed. It's not just when the neshama leaves the body, but in its purest form, it's going to be happening right here in this world. And not only is that going to be a reward, that's actually the reason why this world was created. Let's revisit the purpose of creation again. Hashem created the world so that there will be a place of darkness, but the point of the darkness is not the darkness in itself that within the darkness, his essence will be uncovered. When his essence is uncovered, he will shine totally in his essence without any garment or concealment. And when that happens, that's actually the purpose of creation. That's why the world was created. And this is a very important idea to understand, that the initial reason for the creation of this world with all its darkness is that ultimately it should be transformed to light. And ultimately, when that transformation happens, it's not something new invention that happens to this world, but that's the initial purpose for the creation of the world. This world's purpose 
is to serve for a home for Hashem. And every time we look up this world as a place of chaos and disorder and darkness, we should remember that all that is secondary, that all that is not the true essence of the world. The true essence of the world is ultimately it will reveal Hashem's essence and Hashem's essence will be shining in its utter purity only in this world, totally in this world. That is not going to happen in any other world. His purest essence will be shining in this world and that is the reason why this world was created. Susan is asking a question. Is his light different than the original supernal light he stored away? So you're we're referencing. Do you want you want to speak? Uh, yeah, I'm referencing from what he stored away at creation of Briasola. Um, what was that say for? And is that different than his essential light? Do you know what the Baal Shem Tov says? The Baal Shem Tov says that that light that he stored away for the tzaddikim, he put inside the Torah. So it is one and the same, that ultimately the light that we get through the Torah is his eternal light, and that light is what's going to be, be revealed when the purpose of his creation is revealed, when he shines totally and completely unveiled, when this world becomes his home, where he is just kicks off his shoes, how dare I speak like that, but just in a metaphorical sense, kicks off his shoes and is totally himself, it will be right here in this world. So when these Sadiqim are learning in this world now, before that happens, are they absorbing some of the supernal light within them? Okay, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, not just are the tzaddikim who study Torah accessing that light when they study Torah. Each and every one of us are accessing that light when we study Torah. The only difference is to what degree we perceive it. It's the most crazy, amazing thing. Hashem took his very essence and put it in the Torah. In no other world do they have access to that essence. The only place we have access to that essence is in this world. The only thing is, we don't perceive it. Even the tzaddikim who do perceive the light, they do not perceive it in its ultimate purest sense. There is still some level of garment that hides him. At this point, should somebody perceive him as he is, they will expire out of existence. It's not possible. It's only when the world is ultimately refined to be a vessel to announce and testify to the divine that we will be able to receive him in his purest sense without expiring out of existence. Until that time, there will always be some level of hiddenness that will happen until when Hashem reveals himself. And if not, the creations will just expire out of existence. I, I see two hands up. Um, it's hard for me to see Ka Karen. There's uh, maybe because of the light behind you. There we go. I see you better. Karen, you had a question. Let me unmute you over here. Okay, I hear you. I had a question. Uh, so the souls uh, in the Olama Emet, uh, do they have access to the light? Okay, that's an excellent question. They have an access to the radiance, but not the essence. It explains, the Talmud explains that, what are they doing? That the tzaddikim are sitting with the crowns on their heads. They enjoy from the radiance of the Shekhinah. They enjoy the pleasure of the divine, but they do not have access to the other utter essence. 
the difference between this world and the afterlife before Mashiach comes is in this world, the experience is much greater. What we experience here is a connection to Hashem's very essence. That's not available in any other world. On the other hand, what the other worlds have a much better, uh, where, they, where they have the advantage is in the higher worlds, the pleasure is much greater. So while we don't feel the pleasure of what we experience in this world, our experience is much greater in that it is a connection to the divine. In the higher worlds, they don't have that same level of connection they have a, a, a connection only to the level of radiance. But whatever they do experience, they enjoy. We don't see what we experience. And that's why we could experience what we do. Because if we would see what we experience, we would not be able to continue to exist. Now I'm going to move to Regina, who had a question. Here, let me unmute you over here. Oh, one second. Here we go. Oh, okay. I'll do it. One second. Okay, Regina. So when you say that we still derive um, the light from the Torah when we learn it, what part of us actually derives it? Is it just the godly soul? Because on a physical level, we don't see it, feel it. Who, who actually is the recipient? So the recipient is the divine soul. And even though the divine soul itself doesn't truly perceive what it's experiencing at that time. It receives spiritual benefit in that it receives assistance in its divine mission. When it connects to the essence of Hashem, even the divine soul does not perceive truly what it's connecting with, and yet it receives divine assistance in furthering its spiritual mission. Okay, I'm going to move forward now. It is known that the Messianic era, especially the period after the resurrection of the dead, and he's referencing two stages here. He's saying the Messianic era, and then he's saying the period of the resurrection of the dead. And that's because the Zohar speaks about different stages. It's not all the same. It says first there's going to be the building of the Beis HaMikdash, then there's going to be the ingathering of the exiles, and finally there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. So the altar was saying here, we know that the messianic period, especially the period after the resurrection of the dead, is indeed the ultimate purpose and fulfillment of this world. It is for this purpose that this world was originally created. So let's look at the time of Mashiach, Let's look at the time of the resurrection of the dead. What are they? They're the fulfillment of Hashem's original intent in creating the world. His original intent was that he should have a home in the lowest realms. When Mashiach comes, he will be totally at home here. And now let's look at this note. At first glance, this statement appears strange. One would have thought that the, rep that the messianic era represents not the purpose of creation, but the reward for man's efforts towards fulfilling that purpose. Isn't the messianic era a reward? So the answer is yes, but there's two stages in reward. Let's look at the reward of the messianic era. Right now, every time we study Torah, every time we do a mitzvah, what are we doing? We are drawing down divine manifestation into this world, except we don't perceive it. 
when Mashiach comes, we will be able to perceive all of the divine energy that we drew down into this world. The time of Mashiach's coming has a direct relationship with our service of Hashem now. We're serving Hashem. We don't see the spiritual structures that we are creating. When Mashiach comes, we will see the spiritual structure that we created. So that time has a direct relationship to what we achieve now. The Talmud tells us like this, That means the world exists for 6,000 years and for a thousand it lays in ruins and it brings a proof text to this from the Navi Yeshaya. Hashem Hashem alone will be exalted on that day. That means the divine revelation that will be at that time will be so profound that physicality will have no place whatsoever. And although it will exist, it will be as though it's in ruins. Rabbeinu Bechaye writes that the six millennia, which the, the seven millennia for which the world exists, corresponds to the six days of creation plus Shabbos. The seventh millennia corresponds to the day of Shabbos, about which time it says that is Yom Shekulo Shabbos Umnucha Lechai Olamim. That means a day that is all Shabbos, all rest, where will we enjoy eternal, where we'll, where we will enjoy eternal life. So let's now look at the note of the Alter Rebbe. Note, the Alter Rebbe clarifies. The time of receiving the reward is essentially in the seventh millennium, as is stated in Lakuti Torah of the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Gloria of Blessed Memory, whereas the period until then constitutes the fulfillment of the world's purpose. So the difference between the reward of uh, the time of Mashiach and the reward of the seventh millennium is as follows. The time of Mashiach is the realization of the intent of the creation of the world. At that time, the reward that we will receive is secondary, and it's just that we will realize the divine manifestation we have brought down into this world all those years that we served Hashem during exile. The seventh millennium is a time that has no relationship to our service now. It is so transcends, so beyond anything we achieve it's nothing we could accomplish. And that time is going to be pure reward without any relationship to anything we did up until now. So what is the time of Mashiach? The time of Mashiach is the time where Hashem's intent in creating the world is fulfilled. And true, there's the reward element in it, but the true time for reward is not now, it's in the seventh millennium. The seventh millennium is the true time for the reward. So let me meanwhile wrap up what we said until now. We said like this, ultimately Hashem's going to be totally at home here. What is that going to mean? What does that mean? It means that he will shine as he is in his purest essence. How indeed is that possible? Because he gave us the Torah. He gave us the Torah, which is strength. And the Torah gives us the strength to not only receive, not only to receive the divine revelation but to continue to exist and not be nullified out of existence even when Hashem shines in his purest essence moving along now we're going to see that what's going to happen at the time of Mashiach when Hashem reveals himself the time of Mashiach we are going to perceive Hashem 
even with our fleshly eyes. And that revelation is going to pervade the entire universe. There's not going to be a corner of this universe that does not shine with Hashem's light. Did we ever experience such revelation in history? And the answer is yes, at Matan Torah. Now let's get into it and I'll stop exactly at the hour wherever the hour ends and we'll continue next time. Okay, we had an experience just like, like this before and that was at Matan Torah. A glimmer of this revelation, which will take place in the future, has already been experienced at the time of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. What happened at that time? Physically, we were able to perceive the divine, and that revelation pervaded the entire world. Now, the Alter Rebbe is exact in his wording. He says, which means something similar to this. Over here, they translate this as a glimmer of this revelation. It wasn't exactly the same type of revelation that will happen. And I'll tell you why. Because when the Jewish people received that revelation at Sinai, they weren't proper vessels to receive that revelation. It tells us about the time they left Egypt, for the people had fled, the nation had fled. When they were in Egypt, they were in a state of extreme corruption. Spiritually, they were very decrepit. And in order to receive the divine revelation, the giving of the Torah, they had to just stop, drop, and run. They were like, okay, whatever I am, I am, but I'm getting out of here. The people fled Egypt, and it's true they worked on themselves through the seven weeks and counting the Omer. They did refinement of their midot in those seven weeks so that they can accept the Torah. Nevertheless, they were not refined enough to receive that level of revelation. When Hashem revealed himself at that time, it was totally a gift from above. It was not that they were purified and ready to accept. It was they were as they were. The world was as it is in physicality. And Hashem revealed himself on Mount Sinai despite the imperfection of the world at that time. And therefore, because they weren't perfect vessels to receive the divine, they still had the possibility for sin, which as we know, they actually did sin. They served a golden calf not long afterwards, which just seems to be unfathomable. It's like ridiculous. Are you serious? You just received this incredible revelation at Sinai and next second, when your calculations go off, you become phased and build a golden calf. It seems ridiculous. It seems crazy, but that's what happened because the Jewish people were not on a level to receive the Torah. The Talmud tells us at the time they got the Torah, Pasca Zuhamasan, which means their contamination ceased. Their contamination ceased, but it doesn't mean they were refined. What it means is, it was as if put to sleep. At that time, they were in a state where they accepted the divine revelation. The evil within them was still there, but it was in a state of sleep, and it was able to be reawoken, which is exactly what happened. So something of this kind of revelation that will happen at the end of days where the fleshly human eye is going to be able to perceive the divine and the entire world is going to be flooded with this profuse revelation of Hashem's essence already happened at Matan Torah. So here is the first proof text and that is, uh, Susan, I'm going to get to your question in a second. The first proof text and that is, how was it 
show to me that the physical eye actually perceived the divine. Let me look at Susan's question over here. Susan asked like this, Hashem knew they would disintegrate, that their vessel was not able to conv- contain the revelation and die. Susan, could you say that verbally, please? Yeah. And then they were not on a level that hopefully will be at the time of Mashiach. At the time of Revelation, as you said, they were on a very low level and they were not able to have, it was too much for Nei Yisrael to um, have the revelation to see that a part of Hashem that he revealed. And as as we know, as I don't know if it's actually Pharaoh uh, in the Torah or Smidrash that they died and then Hashem had to revive them. Exactly so. so. We're going to, that's exactly what the Alder was going to say here. Uh, pardon? You're getting ahead of us because that's what exactly what we're visiting. Well, okay. <laughs> I always wanted that. So I'm going to fix it. You do it often. You do it often. Kedachsev, Atahar Esa Ladas, Ki Hashem Hua Alaikim, Ain Aid Milvade. As it is written, you, God, reveal yourself that we may know that God is the Lord. There is nothing else besides him. You actually revealed yourself, literally made yourself seen, indicating that the revelation was in a matter perceptible to physical sight. So at that time, when Hashem revealed himself on Har Sinai, on Mount Sinai, it says, you were shown to know that God is God. You were actually able to see it. And the altar of emphasizes literally with physical eyesight. Because there's different ways of seeing. First of all, the Talmud tells, tells us, Ein shmia That means hearing is not the same thing as seeing. When you hear something, you don't have the same sureness as you do, the same certainty as you do when you see it with your eyes. Even if the source is very, very credible, somebody that you completely trust, and they said, listen, I want to tell you something. I saw something with my eyes, and they describe it to you. You believe them. But then if somebody else comes to you and tries to discount their record, there will be some element of doubt. Because as long as you have not beheld it with your very own eyes, there is always a little bit of room for doubt. On the other hand, if you see something with your own eyes, and even if it makes no sense at all, you're very sure. Like, for example, if you see somebody right in front of you and you say, one second, it's not possible for that man to be in front of you. Five minutes ago, he was in Australia. And furthermore, there's no windows or doors in the room that you're in. So there's no way he could have gotten in. I don't care. I see him. I'm sure he's here. That's the certainty of seeing. So for sure, when we compare sight with hearing, sight means certainty. But then there's a certain type of certainty that we can have, even without physical vision. And this is something that is called Re'iyas Ein Hasechel, seeing with the mind's eye. For example, you've never seen your consciousness. You've never seen your soul. But if someone were to tell you, you don't have any consciousness, you don't have any spirit, all you are is a body, you know that's not true. You know your spirit. You know your consciousness. You can't describe it. You have no way of saying what it is. You're not even sure what it is, but you know it exists. So this is something that you're very certain of, even though you've never seen it with your eyes. So the altar is telling us, when we say that the Jewish people perceived God, that they saw that there was nothing else besides Hashem 
at Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah, it doesn't just mean ri'iyas ein hasechel, seeing with the mind's eye. It means that they physically saw, with physical vision, they actually perceived the divine at Matan Torah. So it is written, and all the people saw the thunder. They saw what is normally heard, meaning the children of Israel perceived the revelation at Sinai with actual sight. What happened at that time was that the revelation that Hashem gave to this world at the time of the giving of the Torah transcended all boundaries. And because it transcended all boundaries, it was ready to take on any physical garb with which one was able and ready to receive it. So at that time, they were able to see that which is normally heard. Whichever direction they faced, they were able to perceive the divine, not because the divine took on physical limitations, not because it now became something physical, but rather it transcended all boundaries and therefore was able to be received in any which garb and in any which sensory mode that you were able to take it. At that point, you were able to see things which are normally only heard. At that point, it wasn't like the focal point of the voice was Har Sinai, but rather Hashem's voice came from every which direction because it went through everywhere and took through everything and it was available to every single modality and space at that time. So it's, I'm just going to wrap up because it's 2 minutes to, 11 to 12 o'clock, excuse me. And um, we didn't get to finish the chapter. We're going to have to finish it next time. So what we said in this last part was, did we ever receive a revelation of this sort where we were able to perceive the divine and also that Hashem's essence was manifest everywhere? And the answer is yes. Something of this sort happened at Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah. We're going to... Uh, further develop the idea next class we're also going to see what's the difference between jewish people and everybody else and um, we're also going to see how they were not vessels at that time and that's why they died and we're going to wrap it up here any other questions or comments